Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. Faith alone defends. Helen Keller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Three of Seven podcast. This is Chad. There is no advertisements on today's episode because I want to tell you guys about uh, a really cool opportunity. So for Three of Seven Project, we are dedicated to building an email list. This is a new objective for us. We want to be able to reach you guys and not depend on the algorithms of Instagram. We want to be able to provide value to you guys directly. If you listen to this podcast, if you follow us, if you if you enjoy and you partake and you contribute to the mission of 3 of 7 Project, there's a lot of big things coming, and we want to be able to be in touch with you directly. So, look, we have got a brand new handmade NFW watch. I want you to understand something about this. <clears throat> this It's a timepiece. This is an heirloom timepiece. It's an NFW watch. Jesse Itzler gave me a NFW watch about a year ago as a gift. And it it's these these things are unbelievable. The craftsmanship is just through the roof. It's it's just an amazing timepiece. I wear mine anytime I'm out doing a speaking engagement. I'm out to dinner. I, it's it's special to me. Not only because it was a gift from my brother, a good friend of mine, but because it is just such a well-crafted piece of gear. We've got one here. It was donated to 307 Project by NFW Watch Company, I want you to. I want to read you a little thing from uh, from the owner's manual here. It says this is from NFW Timepiece. We take great pride in what we design and produce. We hope you'll take great pride in wearing it. NFW is a small company driven by unwavering dedication and entrepreneurial spirit, fueled by the inspiration to create exquisite timepieces. We cut no corners. For the sake of the bottom line, and we only use the finest materials. Every detail of every watch design is attended to with great skill, care, knowledge, and passion for excellence. So take a moment to marvel at your new watch. Yeah, that's a pretty good description. I'll post some pictures of this thing on Instagram later on so you guys can get eyes on it. Why am I telling you about this NFW watch that was donated to 307 Project? by NFW, because we are going to give away this watch. 
to one of you guys. All we ask is that you go to 307project.com and join the mailing list. When you go to the website, if you scroll down just a little bit, you'll see something that says sign up for updates and promotions. We ask that you enter your name and your email address and subscribe. My goal for this is to provide you guys with a ton of value. Whether it's opportunities, whether it's workout plans, whether it's things that I write, uh, private write-ups, whatever it is that I come up with, I want to put some time into this and I want to be able to reach you guys directly. So, if you want to enter for your chance to win this NFW watch, all you got to do is go to 307project.com, enter your email address so we can build this network. We need to build this network organically. We don't need to be depending on social media platforms to reach each other. And that's what this is all about, guys. I'm so pumped about this. I cannot wait to see who gets this NFW watch. Uh, I'm actually, it's kind of painful for me to, to give it away because I want it myself. I mean... Again, I'll post some pictures of it in Instagram. You guys, check it out. This thing is, is, I don't even know how much this thing would cost. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. If you want to put a price on it. To give you an idea of the value uh, of this, of this timepiece. Hey, I'm pumped. Thanks for listening. I'll attach the uh, the link to the website in the show notes of this episode. So throw your name in the hat to win this thing. And uh, it's an honor for us to be able to give this away to one of you guys that have supported us. And NFW Watch, we cannot thank you enough for giving us the opportunity to do this. All right, guys, today's episode is with a good friend of mine named Rusty. Rusty's a lot of different things. He's one of the best artists, photographers that I've ever seen. Go to Rusty's Instagram. It's RustyFD912, and you'll be able to see some of the photographs that he takes, and it's just... I can't even describe them to you. You got to go check it out. So not only is he an artist, but he's also an ultra runner, a father, and he's a first responder. Rusty's a fireman. He's been a fireman for a long time. He has been through a lot. Like, like most firemen and first responders out there working the streets day in, day out, keeping us safe. And he came on the 307 podcast and shared his story in a real deep way. This is a powerful, powerful episode. And I promise you, you'll want to listen to it in its entirety. All right, guys, without further ado, here's Rusty. Enjoy. Rusty, what's up, brother? 
Nothing much, Chad. How you doing? Doing good, man. Welcome to the Three of Seven podcast. Thank you so much for having me, bro. Dude, I'm fired up. I'm um, so thankful that you have taken the time out of your busy schedule to come out here and share your story with us, dude. For you guys that are listening, Rusty made a long drive from Florida today to come up and uh, spend a little time. We had an awesome run today. Yes, we did. Freaking solid run. I took him to one of my favorite loops, bread and butter. What did we get? About a thousand feet of climb. Yeah. In yeah. a in a short <laughs> pinch. Short, yes. Like a half mile little <laughs> little pinch right there. So um I love that spot. We just got some dinner. We had kind of a pr- a a pre podcast podcast. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> Brooks trying to, Brooke was trying to get all Steal the gold the out of yeah. you, man. I don't know. Uh, I, I had to shut her down there for a minute. She's probably going to be mad at me when I get back to the house for shutting her down like that. But we just wanted to make sure she had some incentive to listen to the show. Yeah. Oh, I, I think she'll listen now. That's it, man. I love it, brother. All right, guys. So, yeah, I got, I got my brother Rusty here with me today. Rusty's a lot of things. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a fireman. He's a photographer. Or I think, I mean, I would call you more of an artist well, thanks. than a photographer yeah. because your stuff, it's, dude. It's different. It's, it's definitely it's different. It's so unique, man. Like, it's just, you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys where you can follow Rusty. I'll attach it in the show notes here. But um, go follow him on Instagram. Look at some of the work that he puts out. Um, would you... What would you even call, would you would you call it photography or or art? What what do you consider it? It's a mixture of both. Um, I've never really considered myself a photographer. You know, like I told yeah. you, I've never I've never have any any classes before, um, and it's it's pretty sad. I don't even know how to use the manual settings on my camera. Um, I just kind of go by feel, and the, and luckily I have a decent eye for it, but. Um, yeah, it's kind of minimalism photography, but it can get it's a little artsy. I'm always looking for kind of bright colors and that that type of thing. So it's yeah, it's it's kind of evolved into a lot more than than when I first started. It's it's definitely different. And would you call that Yeah, I mean, is that your passion right now? Would you call that your passion? I mean, is it at, is it at that level or is it just kind of something that you just enjoy doing? I, like it, it was at one point. Um and it's, it's done a lot for me. And, you know, I'm sitting here right now because of that. Yeah. Um, having four kids at home, which, you know, I love them to death. That has become my wife and my kids is, is where I'm at most of the time. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely taken over, which, you know, that's a great thing. But, yeah, I'm, one of these days when my kids get a little bit older, maybe don't need me as much, I'm going to try to travel a little bit more and, mm-hmm. and, and get out there. But, yeah, it's – it's done a lot for me. It's been a little outlet, and uh, I've met some great people along the way doing it. So I've enjoyed it. Could you ever see that as something that you do full time, or for sure? Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's the thing is just uh, maybe not enough hours in the day to to pursue that. You know, um, I mm-hmm. live in a small town of gosh forty thousand people or so. Um, I've hit that area pretty good, and and up and down the the east coast of Florida. So uh, eventually, I'd like to get out to California, Los Angeles, Greece, you know, if I could get out there and move a little bit, yeah, I think I could 
really expand it and do a little bit more with it. I, I think you could too, man, because it's just this stuff oh, that you. you're putting out is it's astounding. Like when I first saw your work, um, I, I couldn't tell if it was a digital creation or if it was something that was had someone had painted or if it was a photograph. And I, you really have to look hard yeah. to tell, like, dang, this is a photograph, man. I get that all the time. All the time. It's People just, think it's a, a painting. But no, every one of them is an actual photograph. How did you find – I mean, like, what was the first one you took? So, it's – it's funny because at the end of the day, it's just a silly cell phone app. That's how I got into it. Um, there was a, a fireman up in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, his name's Gabriel, and I'm probably going to destroy his last name, but I think it's in Jemmy. Uh, we were just random friends on Facebook, and man, this might this might be from 2010, 2012. He posted a link to his Instagram, and I'd never even heard of that. I didn't even know what it was, and I just clicked on it, and it was just architecture it was buildings around camden new jersey and um i've always been big into that sort of thing and i said you know i i could do that so my wife helped me download the app on my old iphone 4 or 3 or whatever the heck it was and i just just took off um just started taking buildings uh, or pictures of buildings and i was usually doing it at the end of my shift so about seven o'clock in the morning in uh around the coco coco beach area and it's lots of brightly colored buildings especially when the sun's first coming up in the morning it creates some shadows and I did that a couple of times and and I got a really good response from it people seem to really enjoy it so that became my thing as these brightly colored buildings and uh it took off uh, like pretty quick within a year or two and Instagram ended up placing me on the suggested users list for a month or two and took off from there and mm -hmm. then Wired Magazine contacted me and since then, uh, I've had um, I had a show at the AE Bacchus Gallery in downtown Fort Pierce, my own you know, private show, which was great. And, That's awesome, yeah. brother. And I was that's got to feel good, it man. Was, yeah, because the Bacchus Gallery is a big deal back home, and yeah. um, just just to kind of represent my town and and be part of the Bacchus, the Highwaymen, you know, it 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 means a lot to me. So yeah. anything I can do to help my town and and um, yeah, it, I enjoyed that and it. I was working with a lady for a few years out of Germany and she traveled all around. She sold some of my photographs in Hamburg, Germany and Stockholm, South Africa. I traveled to New York city. We did a show up there and uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I never in a million years thought that downloading a little cell phone app would lead into something like this. It sure. is, it is, it's, yeah, it's, that, that's the crazy thing to me is like, it seems like, that should be something that you've, you're so good at it. Like, it seems like the story should be, yeah, I've been doing this since I was eight years old and, you know, I've been to school for it and yeah. I've had all these mentors and like, that's not the story, man. It's no. like after you, after your shift at the firehouse, you're just, you're look, you've had these shots in mind and then you take yep. most of your photos from the yep. seat of your truck, right? That's the other thing that trips people out is, uh, I pull up and I usually snap the photo from the driver's seat of my truck. I don't even get out. There's no tripod. There's no setup. Um, I've had a lot of people, not a lot. I've had a few come out and go, what are you doing? You know, I'm taking pictures of the side of a building. It looks really super weird and creepy. So I try to be as nonchalant as I can, unless there's a super good one that I'm really <laughs> into. 
But uh, no, there's, there's no setup, and it's usually two to three photos, tops, two to three snaps of, of whatever subject I'm looking at, and that's it, and then I take off. And then when I get home, I'll look at it from there to see if, if maybe I can turn it into something. And yeah, I, I didn't even know what I was doing was a thing. Uh, apparently, it's called minimalism. And, and like I've told people the past few years, I had to look the term up. I didn't even yeah. know what that was. And I'm like, yeah, people go to school for this stuff. And something no, special. Some, yeah, I'm, something I'm, I'm special is going on upstairs. Very right? fortunate. Yeah, I've, for I've sure. always kind of seen lines and angles and planes in my head, and it used to drive me nuts. Well, with photography, it makes sense now. Gosh, that's so. cool, brother. <laughs> that is so cool, yeah. man. I love that. I love that, man. Um, so. You've done a lot of things, Rusty. Uh, one thing I didn't tell you guys, Rusty's also a country boy. Yeah. <laughs> He's done a lot of things. He hasn't been a fireman since he was 18 years old. No. Um, one thing that really, you know, I guess caught me, caught my eye when I'm kind of reading through your bio, man, is it said, um, you know, you kind of went through the list of things that you were doing as a young man. What, what were some of those things? My first day when I graduated – from high school, I was running a tractor for my uncle. I mean, literally, we graduated, and the very next day, I was out in the orange groves. At the time, citrus was still booming in Florida, so I needed a job. I uh, was kind of just taking a couple classes at the community college, but yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. Um, I, I just wasn't one of those people that just, yeah, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So I got out. I ran a tractor for him. I've always loved being outdoors and nature and stuff, so I enjoyed it. So I did that for a year or two and then decided I was going to go to school for agriculture at the University of Florida, for mainly for citrus. So I ended up moving up there and um, getting through some of the classes, but then citrus took a huge dive. So um, started dating my wife now, but uh, we started dating, and her dad was a firefighter. And so were some of my really close friends and they had all tried to talk me into doing it, but I was always like, Oh man, the medical stuff. I don't know, man. I don't mm -hmm. know if I want to see that. And so I still kind of plugged along and did different things. I worked for the cable company in Tampa. I was installing cable and uh, I've waited tables. I've again, worked in the groves again, running irrigation and spray crews. Um, and even now I work part-time for Adams ranch. It's a cattle ranch. So old school, old school. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, things are still done on horseback and, and things like that. So, ultimately, I ended up back in the fire service, though. Um, spent some time around friends of mine and, and uh, my father-in-law. We went to dinner one night, and, and he, he saw that things were getting pretty serious with Melanie and I, and, you know, he wanted to protect his daughter. And mm -hmm. so, he pretty much gave me an ultimatum. He said, you know, if you're going to – date my daughter sucker you better have a pension so i don't know what you're gonna do but why don't you just be a fireman and get it over with <laughs> dang it man <laughs> so um that that's so yeah. that that's what i was wondering that's the part of the bio that that kind of i don't want to say caught me off guard but it was said it said you said i finally was like talked into yeah. becoming a fireman yeah and i was like man that so that's different that's different than most people's stories because you know i think a lot of people in your profession were it's something that they've aspired to do for right. a long time. You know what I mean? A lot of their dads did it, grandfathers. and So and you one, do see a lot of generational oh yeah. pass down on oh that? Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot of, 
you know, family members, the you know, sons and cousins and yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you get some random oddballs like me that come from out of nowhere. And, and the, the more that I learned about it uh, and, and saw what my friends were doing and it's a job of service. You're, you're helping your community. So I loved working out in the orange groves and doing things like that, but this was way more fulfilling than anything I had ever done. So yeah, I ended up going through all the schooling for it and um, got hired on with Brevard County Fire Rescue in 2008. And I did seven years with them and I've, I commuted the whole time. It was about a 90 mile commute. And eventually I was, yeah, it was a long way. Um, But I ended up finally getting a job with the St. Lucie County Fire District where I currently work. And that's, that's my home. That's, Fort Pierce, and I've been with them almost six years now. You know, one question I got for you, Rusty, is when you when you finally got talked into <laughs> going and doing that job, is like because you mentioned before that you know you never really felt you, you were never sure about what you were supposed to be doing or what you you know uh, what it, however you want to call it what you were called to do or whatever. When you when you stepped into that arena, did you feel in a way that that was what you were supposed to be doing like for the first time or was it still just like I'm just doing this because it seems like a good idea for my family you know in the in the beginning yeah there was there was definitely some rough patches you know mm-hmm. I'd I'd never done anything like this uh, I started out with EMT school so which is not easy no I mean it, it's it's the basics you have first responder then you have EMT which is a semester of college and You've got to go do some some ride-alongs, and you've got to go work in the in the hospital in the ER setting. And I saw some things, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I was young, in the early twenties, and yeah, I'd never seen some stuff like that before. So it again, though, seeing some of those things and the decisions that I got to see these guys make with the outcomes and the people that they did help, just reinforced that, yeah, I'm, I'm going down the right path, gotcha. and, you know, and then from there I got into the fire academy and, and it, it was tough. Yeah. There was definitely some hard days in there. Um, but once I got rocking and rolling with that and learning more and you're around, you know, like-minded individuals that want to do the same job and yeah, I was sold. I, yep. I was in it. Yep. And, um, so once you kind of got worked into that, yeah. that brotherhood aspect of it, exactly. Yeah. It, be- and it becomes something probably that's for the first time, I know I felt that when I joined the Navy. For the first time, you're a part of something that's bigger than exactly. just you and what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah, man, for sure. And you know, that had to been that had to been a distinct moment for you because one thing that you were talking about earlier is like you didn't just you didn't once you got to the point where your schooling was over, the training was done, and it was time for you to go to work. You didn't like you didn't pick the firehouse that was like out in the most rural place that gets one call a night. Like you wanted to go hard, man. Yeah. No, I wanted to go full bore right into it. Are you like that on everything or <sighs> Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, it's been this it's been the same with the photography. I didn't know anything about it and I I researched the heck out of it. I went crazy with it. It's I've done the same thing with running. Day one, I couldn't run a mile without having to walk. And six weeks later, I ran a half marathon at about two hours flat. Three months later, full marathon in the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah. 5,000 feet of gain. And then 
three or four months later, 50K. So I don't know. I, I have to pump the brakes on myself a little bit because I, I just – I find something and uh, it's just this addictive personality I have. So I got to channel it for the right things. But yeah, I, I go nuts. I go straight into the, the whole research and development. I'll start reading books on it and, and YouTube now, you know, yeah. I love YouTube. Um, Dude, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It's like, I'm, I'm all or nothing brother yeah. on whatever, on whatever I'm doing. That's, that's what was, uh, I, I, the, the, this conversation, part of the conversation really resonates with me because one thing about that, though, one thing about our mindset is like you got to be very careful because yes, a lot of times when we go full bore on stuff like our profession or our hobbies or whatever it may be, all of a sudden you turn around and everything else in your life is suffering, right? Absolutely. Everyone and everything else is suffering. Like, yeah, we achieve our goals on a high level you know, in the things that we've decided that we wanted to invest ourselves into, but man, a lot of stuff can fall by the wayside. Yeah, you know? it, it is. It's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And, and especially having a wife and kids. Uh, and there was a while, man, where I really, I, I put my job up there. I was the guy taking classes, going to conferences. Yep. If I was home, I was thinking about different things with work. I'm working overtime, anytime I could get overtime, back in the firehouse, and it did. It, it took a toll on my family, and it and um, I had to I had to step back a little bit from it. And well, talk about that op tempo real quick, man. That that you know you've talked to me about about the the amount of calls that you guys were covering down on because I I never dude. So my view of a firehouse is like, man, all the guys are hanging out. Yeah freaking cooking like they might get a call you know every now and then and then maybe every now and then they get a really awesome fire and they're all pumped and they're fresh and yeah that's not the reality of it though man and i mean it and it's different it's different for everybody yeah uh, but where you were where where i'm at uh i'm in florida and a a lot of people don't realize that i think nationwide now it's about 85 percent of our runs are medical so we go on a lot of a lot of medical calls the majority of us now are, are even a higher level. We're paramedics. And I've been a paramedic mm-hmm. about 12 years out of, out of my 13 now. Um, that's a whole nother year, pretty intense year of training just to be a state certified paramedic here in Florida. So I've heard it's, I've heard that's some intense training, it is. man. It is. It's, it's and a, I, the only thing I have to reference it is our, is our medics in the SEAL teams, 18 right. Deltas. And that's a basically paramedic. They're basically yep. paramedics. And I've talked to those guys, and they're like, man, this crap is brutal, it, man. It is. I mean, we we innovate in the field. We can crike. I mean, there's, I don't even know, 20 or 30 drugs on the truck that we got to know inside now. And, I mean, you're, you're making split-second decisions. Oh, yeah. You know, they say we're not supposed to diagnose, but you've got to have a treatment modality. you got to know which route you're going with this. And that's at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're beat down tired. You're having to make – life-changing split-second decisions so it's it is it's it's a great fulfilling rewarding job but there it, it comes with a little bit of a price tag cortisol levels are high yeah, man yeah um so yeah i was assigned to uh station one in the middle of fort pierce central fire station uh my department runs on average about i think we're about 55 56 000 calls a year out of 17 houses my station averages about 10,000 of those calls just out of that one house. Uh, there's an engine, a chief, and two rescue trucks. We call our rescue trucks ambulances in Florida. Most everybody does there. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at 
30 runs on average, sometimes 35, sometimes a little more in a 24-hour period. So, I mean, if you think about it, you're looking at a, a run or two every hour on the hour for 24 straight hours. God, so the no, tones man. are constantly dropping. You're constantly moving. And it's out of those calls, it, we always used to have a thing there at Central, you know, you're going to get something legitimate out of that 24-hour shift. There's going to be at least one run. You're going to have, you know, a, a code. You're going to have a house fire, a bad wreck, shootings, stabbings. I mean, maybe some crazy extrication. Like, it, something goes down because you're right smack dab in the middle of that city. So, out of my career, I've pretty much always been somewhere where it was going down and that was by choice yeah it was mostly by choice i mean yeah. you, our our department you bid by seniority but that's where i wanted to be mm -hmm. and um yeah it was it was starting to take a toll on me and i i had no idea mm -hmm. deep deep down like what was really happening yeah man and what when you were running that high op tempo what was going on at home i mean because i know we talked about earlier about you're constantly kind of just like building this deficit up because you kind of described it in a way of once you got off of one of those 24 hour yeah. shifts, you know what you had two days to kind of wind down, but you never really got totally wind down because no. yeah. And then you're back on a shift. So what was going on at home? Were you able to turn it off when you got home or how were you managing that man? Because well, you did it for a long time I, I did, and yeah. you're still married. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, and that's, what a lot of people don't realize is, um, unfortunately, with the fire service, the substance abuse rate is way up. It's a very high-stress job. It's always in the top three. Um, divorce is always way up there. Mm -hmm. You're gone a lot. You're gone on holidays. You miss birthdays. You, know, you miss a lot. But 24 hours... Chances are you're you're gonna you maybe you get a little bit of sleep here and there, um, but it it takes it takes a lot out of you mentally, physically, and emotionally. So yeah, you'll go on one of these shifts and maybe get two hours of sleep. You've maybe seen some horrible, traumatic events, and you get off shift at seven thirty in the morning, and now it's time to come home and be a husband and a dad. Everybody else has been asleep all night long. They have You're no coming clue. in. They have no clue, and nor I, nor nor do they need to. No, like. yeah, I don't. I, you know, my I love my wife to death, and and my mom even asks me all the time too when I come home. How was your shift? How was your night? And I just I say it, it was all right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I don't. They don't need to know. I don't need to hit them with the details of of maybe what went down. Yeah. So I I hung on to all that for years and years. I didn't know any better when I got hired on. It was. You know, if you're having some problems, maybe talk to your peers, you know, we'll, we'll go get a couple of beers or something like that. And you just, you bury it and you move on, man. Mm -hmm. Life goes on. But unfortunately, your, your brain is like a big filing cabinet. So I didn't realize all of these traumatic events I was going on were getting stored and stored and stored until basically my filing cabinet was full. So I was coming home and they say, you know, if it's, say you have a bad event or whatever that it could take up to 72 hours to fully decompress for, from that. Yeah. Well, I'm coming straight home and going right into either my other job or with my family, you yep. know, taking the kids to school, just, Gosh, you know what dog, I mean? And, and every guy out mm -hmm. there in the United States is doing the same thing. Most of us work two jobs. Um, and I, and I just want to say too, 
I am by no way, shape, or form trying to complain or whine about my job. I just, I just want people to know what really takes place. You know, uh, yeah, I think it, it needs it, to be. It needs to yeah, be. Yeah, man. I, I, I don't, so it's awareness, dude. Yeah, that, it's, that's it's, all. I, I'm. Yeah. I don't want. I, I love my job. It's in the fire service. We call it the best job in the world, and, yeah. it, and it really, it really has been. But like I said, it, there's there's things that come along with it that maybe most people don't talk about. So yeah. Um, yeah, it, it started to wear on me after a while. I, mm-hmm. I noticed that, um, my temper was really short, um, starting to drink beers pretty much every night. And it, it wasn't a crazy amount, two, four, sometimes five. And I know that might sound a lot, a lot to some, but, but you're a big dude. Though, I'm man. a big dude. Yeah. You I'm, could handle five beers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm six, three two twenty five. Yeah. And, I know. forgot to tell you guys, um, Rusty's a former bodybuilder, <laughs> so he's a big dude. Yeah. So, yeah, there was those little things that um, were starting to, to add up and wear on me, wear on my family. and Yeah. Well, so, you, dude, you're just constantly piling on this deficit. And I totally get it, man. It was the same. No, no, it wasn't the same. It was not. It was different for us in the SEAL teams because we would go on deployment, you know, and we would – we would schedule like a few weeks of that decompression in between our deployment and when we got home. Right. And it still wasn't normal when we got home. But you you guys are deploying every day. Like well, every three days. Whatever right. your schedule is, you're you're deploying every three days. If you're a law enforcement officer, you're going on deployment every dang every day. Every day. You know, it's just freaking crazy. Um I don't want to say it's crazy. It's it's um I have the utmost respect for for that. The utmost respect. And you're just constantly piling on this deficit. Like you said, that filing cabinet yeah. is just like getting so full of bad stuff. Yes. And like every man has a breaking point. Every person has... I, whatever you want to call it, a breaking point, whatever, where where it's just like, okay, we got we got to do something to reset, man. We got to reset this because I'm maxed out, you know. There's there's no shame in that, dude. I remember, I remember in the teams, man, when um, because I went through a long session of uh, like um, therapy or whatever, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things they told me in the beginning was like. Do you realize that like um, a, a large percentage of your teammates are doing the same thing, like, and it, it was like took me aback to because I was like, holy smokes, okay, this is this is yeah. normal. There's no, there's no, there's no shame here. There's no weakness here. Right. This is what it is. This is a normal part of this job, of this type of job. You know what I mean? Yep. And that was freeing for me. You know? Yeah. Um. And the military is getting a lot better at they that. Are. I don't think that law enforcement. I think law enforcement and fire has a long ways to go. We do when it comes to that. We do because I feel like it is. Is it still kind of a taboo thing when you've got it, a guy that kind of reaches that point where they're like, "Hey, man, I need to take a knee for a second. Well, it, fortunately, I feel that it's it's started to come to a head now. It's, okay, it's out. I mean, even in the firehouses, we've got. Posters on the wall, PTSD, reach out, get help. You know. But are guys talking about it? Yes, I mean, for sure. Okay. Now now they are. I mean, I, you know, I, I've only been doing this for 
13 years, like I said, it's not, not that long, but even in my short career, it's flipped around and done a 180 because at the end of the day, it's a machismo job, you know, like we're tough guys, you know, we, we see some and things girls. we do. Oh, and girls. Yeah, yeah. Like I, yeah, absolutely. I've worked some of the women I've worked with are some of the best firefighters on the planet. Yep. So yeah, it, um, it has definitely come around now to where people are opening up about it. Uh, whereas before it just buried it and you move on. So I always thought that PTSD was a military term. Yep. So I didn't know what was going on with me. I didn't, I, again, I thought that that's what happens to you when you see your buddy get taken out or something like that. And I didn't know. So yeah. the biggest part of all of this for me now is the awareness that I have. But, um, yeah, I started to go down a, a really dark road in, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I, uh, I would come back from runs and, and it wouldn't even be anything crazy, man. It would, it'd be somebody complaining of back pain or they don't feel good or whatever. And I'd pull into the firehouse and I'd have to go on the side of the building and I'd start crying mm -hmm. for, and I have no idea why I'd call my wife and I'm like, I don't know what is going on with me. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And I didn't know of any other guys that had, this had happened to them. So, yeah. You know, I'd get myself a little better. I'd, I'd go back upstairs and just throw that smile on my face and just act like nothing happened. There was no way I was going to let anybody know that, man, I was breaking and I, and I couldn't figure out why. So when you read like in a paramedic book or an EMT book, there's a term called burnout. And that usually happens around eight to 12 year mark somewhere in there. So I was like, you know what? I've been somewhere busy for 12 years. I think I've reached burnout. You know, I'm snapping my patience is gone i'm drinking i'm not sleeping mm -hmm. i think i've reached burnout but it was on a so much bigger level well and i think <laughs> i think being burnt out on something is totally yeah. different than having your your file cabinet in your brain maxed out like right. when you're just burnt out on something it's like okay i'm burnt out on this i can walk away from it and tomorrow i'm gonna be good to go right you know what i mean like that's it no. Whoever came up with that term, <laughs> like they need to rewrite that book, I For think. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's, that doesn't, uh, I don't think that classifies it, man. And so, like, all these, these signs and symptoms, what about, like, hyper-awareness and stuff? What, did that get really, was that another I, sign and symptom? I still have that. Yeah, so yeah. This, I have that. I mean, I have the I'm same sure thing. I'm sure you yeah. do, it's, for it's sure. It's pretty dang aggravating, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I still don't like loud noises. Yeah. You know, I've got four crazy kids running around at home. Um, it, it kept going from there. Um, I noticed when I was on shift, and this went on the last three or four months that I was on duty, that at, at my station – you didn't try to go to bed before midnight because you're just going to get up again. So usually around midnight, 1 a.m., we'll try to lay down and maybe get a little bit of rest if we can. We, you know, we run four, five, six runs after midnight. So you try to get us a little bit of shut eye if you can. Well, I noticed it only happened when I was at the fire station. I got restless leg syndrome to the point to where I would have to get up out of my bunk and I would have to go in the living room and go sit in the recliner and just sit there just aggravated. You I'm gotta like, be kidding me, dude! I have the same freaking thing. <laughs> I have the same thing, man. 
it's that's one of the most aggravating things i've never heard it. anybody else say that before that's well I, that is wild man. i wasn't able to really put two and two together i just i only noticed it when i was at work that i was getting restless leg syndrome now when i was at home i didn't have that but i would wake up in the middle of the night covered in sweat i mean i'm talking my bed is soaking wet to the point to where i'd have to get up and sleep lay on the couch with a fan on me and that went on i mean i still that still happens to me here and there mm -hmm. but that went on for a solid year and again not knowing what's what's causing this so it it kept on going from there i again i hit it i hit it man i was like you know i just ran a 50k i, I know how the mind works what why is this happening to me you know why am i falling apart all of a sudden yeah I've loved this job. I've absolutely loved it. I was on the list with the FDNY. Like I've, I've been slap ate up with it. So why is it turning on me? Well, about, I, I got pulled from, from duty July last year and about, I'd say about two weeks prior to that, I went on a run. Actually, the guys went out before me. Like I said, we, we had two rescue trucks there and there was a possible suicide, a GSW to the head. So, this guy was arguing with his wife. He'd been drinking, and he grabbed a hold of her and shot himself in the head with a shotgun and fell on top of her and, and trapped her. So she called 911. The other guys go, I'm still in quarters. I end up getting called out about 10 minutes later for her. So they, they did their thing. They transported him, intubated him, worked him, did their thing. Well, I'm there for her because, rightfully so, she's so shooken up she needs she needs some help you know she she needed to be transported to the hospital so i load her up in the truck she's covered in his blood it's all over her so i'm trying to clean her up she's bawling she's crying i'm trying to comfort her and be as compassionate as i can man you know like i can't even imagine what she's just gone through so i'm trying to comfort her get her loaded up try to to chill her out a little bit if i can we get rolling to the hospital when you put the stretcher in the truck, you've got a bench seat just to the patient's left side where we, that's usually where we sit and work. We start IVs, we put, a, put you on the heart monitor, blood pressure, all that. Behind the patient, behind their head is like a captain's chair. She's crying and losing it so much that I had to get up and sit in the captain's chair because I broke down and started crying too. And that's when it hit me that I'm no good. I'm no good to anybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't help her. Uh, now I'm breaking down on calls. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just after the fact. Now it's happening. Like, I'm a liability. Yep. So that just led into anger and frustration. And I, I still carried on for a couple more shifts after that until. How, how did your teammates react to that? Man? Well, people, since I've come back, I've, I've been back on shift for a couple months now. But since I've come back, some guys have told me, they're like, man, you just weren't you, you know, mm -hmm. like you were, you were just angry and, and just over it. You just seemed completely over it. And, um, I said, I know, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. So do, do they understand? Yes, like, yes, absolutely. Okay, awesome, so that we were, we were due to have our, our fourth baby, uh, Rosemary last July. So I was trying to make it to having the baby. Cause I knew I was like, I'm off for a month. Yeah, I just got to make it, man. I got two shifts left. I just got to make it then, and I got a whole month. I can try to get this worked out. I can try to figure out what the heck is going on with me. And, again, I still did not know what this was. 
So two shifts prior, we're doing our thing, going on runs, going on runs. And I don't remember how the conversation started, but I was talking to my officer and he was just like, man, are, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not all right. And I got a call right as I said that. And I wow. stood up out of the chair and I said, I'm going to have this baby, dude. And I'm never coming back. I said, I'm done. Dang, man. And he, I'll never forget the look on, on Johnny's face, man. He, um, he, he really took care of me. So he, uh, he had known something wasn't right with me. He could tell for a while. Yeah. And he had tried to approach me a few times, and I kind of blew it off. And so he had spent some time researching PTSD and the union, the, the, uh, the international, the IAFF, International Association of Firefighters. There's a big thing on our, on our webpage, and he started looking through that. And actually, one out of five firefighters will get PTSD throughout mm-hmm. their career. It's, it's probably higher. I think that's just undiagnosed. Um, so he spent a little time researching that, um, got a hold of our chief. Our chief came in. They ended up pulling me in the room in the office. We ran a bunch more calls. He ended up pulling me in the office about 9 o'clock, and they were like, dude, you're not okay, man. Mm-hmm. We're worried about you. Like, you're, we, we don't really feel comfortable with you in the field. And, I mean, dude, that, that took my breath away. Oh, that's hard. That's hard, that that's hard brother. To, to, yeah, to hear yeah. that from – from your officers. That but that's, it sounds like you had some strong leadership at that 100%, point. Because, man. I, I love those guys to death. And, and that's what hurts so much is because I always wanted to be the go-to guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I always wanted to be my officer. No matter who my officer has ever been, I wanted to be the right-hand man, the guy they can count on. So to hear that, I was like, man, I'm screwed up. So I broke down a little bit, and, and I'll never forget, you know, Chief Shaw was like, bro, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. You're not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably one. an epiphany for you it, at that it, moment. It was wasn't it, man? because as time went on with all of this, I felt alone. Mm-hmm. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. And that's, that's why I'm sitting here with you today. I do not like talking about myself, man. I hate it. I'm an introvert like we were talking about today. I like to just keep to myself and do my own thing. Yeah. I'm sitting here today to tell my story to, to help others. Yeah. That's it. Just to be of service like I am with my job. A hundred percent, brother. No, and it's an important story. It needs to be told. It needs to be heard for sure, man. Yeah, I, and I could be wrong, but I think the number in 2019, I think it was 119 firefighters committed suicide. Gosh, dog, man. <sighs> Usually we average about a hundred line of duty deaths and that's, that's from anything in the line of duty, including heart attacks. And we've gotten better with, with diets out there. I'm, I'm happy yeah. to say because the majority of them are usually heart attacks. And what people don't realize is you and I right now we're, we run, so our heart rate's probably upper forties or whatever. So when you go to bed at night or you go lay down at the station, when you get a run, you're in a dead sleep. That ramps your heart rate well over 100, 120, especially if it's mm-hmm. something legit. And then yep. you're out the door. We're out the door in less than 90 seconds from a dead sleep. You do that multiple times after midnight for 30 years. No wonder our, our hearts are giving out on us and cancer and everything else. You ain't lying, but, brother. 
But that number, our line of duty deaths last year dropped down to 58, I believe. But we had 119 suicides. And um, I'm just here today to, to try to do what I can to get that number down, man. I thank the good Lord above. I never got to that point. Mm -hmm. I got into therapy. I got pulled from duty. And, and my chiefs, man, and, and officers, and, and everybody, the guys, the brothers and sisters, Everybody looked after me, and they, they tried to keep a hush-hush. They're like, dude, you're going out with the baby. We don't have to say anything to anybody. So I laid low. I laid low for like three months. If I saw a fire truck, I went the other way. If I saw the guys in the grocery store, I, I bailed. Like I couldn't, hey, even, I couldn't even look at a fire truck. I totally get that. I totally I get that. But, that's man, that's not healthy in and of no. itself. And, and here you are trying to recover and – yeah. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm alone. I didn't know anybody going through this. I just, I took my kids to school. I ran, I came home and I sat in my house. I sat in my house for months. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to hardly anybody. I did get into therapy, which is what saved me. And during therapy, I had to see a psychologist. I saw psych psychiatrists, social workers, and I'm, I'm still in therapy now, but they all had me fill out these questionnaires and just to kind of see, you know, where I'm at with, and to, to kind of diagnose me. One of the questions on there was, do you ever have suicidal thoughts? And the answer was yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was. The very next follow-up question on every one of these tests was, did you ever plan anything? And the answer is no. Again, I am so thankful I never got to that point. I've had multiple, I can't even tell you how many people I've had reach out to me over this. And, and not just firefighters. I mean, I'm talking people of all walks of life can suffer from this. Yeah. I never made it to that. And I know a lot of guys that, that had the gun to their head or something like that. Yeah. That's the ones I'm trying to, to reach, to let them know. You're okay, man. There's, there's so much more to this. You know, you can get help. It does get better. I'm not out of the woods by any means, but, man, I've done a 180 compared to where I was at a yeah. year ago. And I, you can ask my wife or anybody that knows me. I was done. I was like, I'm never putting that uniform on again. I'm never going back. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm still here, and I'm still kicking, man. And Yeah, and, you know, I don't even – I don't think that would have – I don't even think that's the solution, man. No. And I mean, I, I'm just looking from the outside. Yeah, but. no, and, and I, I do not condone suicide. I'm not, I'm not saying this at all, but, I, you know, we always we, – we go on a lot of suicide calls, man. We see yeah. it all the time, and you just see these families destroyed. Absolutely. They'll never be the same. The wife, the kids, the husband, the, the mom, dad, they'll never be the same. But one thing that's always stuck with me is you don't know what demons that person was facing. And I, again, I'm not saying that it's okay, but that person hit freaking rock bottom, dude. They couldn't come up with something else. We can't comprehend it. I can't comp exactly. Yeah. I can't. I can't comprehend it. I was. I like to read, and I was during this time. I, I found this book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. You guys, Victor. Victor Frankel. Frankel. Yeah. And there's a quote in there that, that's always stuck with me. You can get through any how as long as you have a why. My wife and kids are my why, man. I, I could never I, – I can't leave them. I mean, they're mm. 
That's they're powerful, every, man. <laughs> they're everything to me. Gosh, dog, man. So when it, it, it got dark, man, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It got dark. I, yeah. was, I was in the, the worst place I've ever been. I went from running 40, 50 miles a week to not being able to get out of bed in the morning. Like, horrible. And I, I asked God all the time, like, why are you doing this to me? I, I have a job that I absolutely loved, and I feel like I've just been picked up and dropped slap on my head. And the only thing that I could come out of this is God picked this journey for me so I could know it, feel it, understand it, never forget it to ultimately help others. I feel like I was chosen for it, and it's taken me a long time to accept that. It's your cross. It's my cross. It's your cross, man. (laughs) Come on now, brother. Yeah. It took, it's taken me a long time to Gosh, fully dog, man. accept it all. And, you know, I, I've had so many people at work tell me, man, we're so happy you're back. Good to see you. And, and it means the world to me that these people actually think of me that way. But I, I'm one day at a time, dude. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've told my wife, I've, I've told my therapist, I said, you know, some days I feel like I'm playing Russian roulette. I feel like... There's going to be that one call that comes in, and we've had some bad ones lately at, at my department, that that's going to be the one that pushes me over the edge. And I'm not saying that I can't handle it on scene. I'm saying the after effects. That's right. When I, when I walk away. I'm, I've never had an issue making decisions. I'm not saying that, anything like that. I'm saying the after effects where I go, that, that was the one. I don't want to see this anymore. Yeah. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. I pray on it every day. You know, I'm doing everything in my power to to keep my head clear my conscious clear and i hope that doesn't happen but as of right now man yeah i'm i'm just taking it one day at a time and whatever path this journey takes me on i'm open to it i'm at peace with it now so and again this has taken a lot of therapy to realize that being a fireman is not my identity it, it's my job and i love it i am who i am yeah I'm you're just rusty. me I'm, yeah I'm just me, man. So That's it. That's it, brother. If it comes to a point where I got to walk away, I'm I'm at peace with it now. Yeah, that's it, dude. You just answered my next question because I could only imagine. I mean, you're back in the mix now. Yeah, and having that anticipation of man, I wonder if this is going to be the call yep. that that you know this the straw that broke the camel's back. Yep. Like that's a lot of anticipation, man. You don't want to have to walk around with that. No, um, and, and it's it's there. It's it's yeah. definitely there. It's not as bad as it was before, but that they call it call anxiety. So even though we might be able to get some rest, and there's been studies that done on this, you know, even when you go sleep in a hotel room, your body does not ever really fully go to rest. Your body fully rests when you're in your own bed. Yeah, your your mind it, it's it's so beyond us at, at what it does. But even at that station for 24 hours. You're always wondering, you know, what's going to come in next. We're a responding agency, so we're just sitting there yeah. waiting for it to happen. So, yeah, we, you know, we do, we train nonstop. For the record, all of us are taking classes nonstop throughout your entire career, especially like if you're a chief or something like that. All of us take classes. You're constantly training. We're doing hands-on stuff, stuff on the computer. It never ends. Yeah. And in between that, there is some downtime. And yeah, uh, you can 
you can ask any firefighter. It's definitely on your mind. You don't know what the day will bring mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's gotta be, I mean, that's a heavy weight. Man. For sure. That's a heavy weight. Uh, what's, what's keeping you, what's keeping you in the mix right now? Like what's driving you right now? I just didn't want to let go. That's how much like- this job has, has meant to me. And I was just, I just didn't want to let go yet. I had, to, I had to get back to work and make sure. And uh, I'm still fighting it. I'm still fighting it. I've slowed down. I was able to bid into a, a slower house. I'm with a great group of guys. Yeah. It's been life-changing for what's, me. What's God telling you on that, on that end? Or, or, or what, it, the, the, what's the Holy Spirit? What do you feel like? like? I'm still not sure, man. Really? So nothing still, definitive, yeah. Nothing, nothing definitive, but I've made peace with my decision of whichever path that, that goes that I'm that, okay. That is significant. For sure. That's significant that you've it's, come to peace with mass, that, man. That's, that's been the biggest piece of just letting go and just seeing what God brings me. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's where that's I'm That's a game changer it. right there, dude, for sure. So... How did you get back to the point, Rusty? You know, you talked about those basically three months where if you saw a fire truck, you went the other way. If yeah. you saw your you saw your brothers in the store, you went the other way. How did you work back up to the point that – and what was the point that you no longer were, were, were living that way and that you could – Man, some of it's kind of a blur, to be honest with you. Um, I just kept doing what they tell me. I, I just kept going to therapy – um, my therapist, Debbie has been amazing. I'm doing what's called uh, I believe it's rapid resolution therapy. Mm-hmm. And we've worked through a lot of these calls. So your, your brain, like we were saying is like a filing cabinet. So these calls that are there, they're just stuck. They're stuck. She calls yep. them data globs. So like, they're not flowing through my mind. You'll never forget these events, but she wants you to be able to, when you do think about it, that it just flows through and then your body doesn't have that chemical reaction and then fight or flight and gotcha. all these things. I mean, it might've happened 10 years ago, but you start thinking it and then bam, you know, cortisol, like all of it starts going nuts. So yep. it's, it's taken a lot of work. I've, I've been in there for a year, um, I'm more of a, a natural holistic type person, you know, I come in there reeking of patchouli soap and natural soap, and the guys make fun of me for that. Yeah. <laughs> so they um, they tried immediately to put me on an SSRI. Um, if that works for you, I'm not knocking it by any means. My mind, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And the mind takes over, I, I believe, is what happened to me with that. They tried to put me, and I'm just trying to be as transparent as I mm-hmm. can about this. Um. They put me on some Zoloft, and I wasn't on it very long, and you can ask my wife. It stripped me of any emotion that I possibly have in my body, and I was staring at the ceiling. And I was like, no, I, I, can't, I can't do this, man. This, if this is the alternative, like this isn't going to work. So I stopped taking that within four or five days, and um, they tried to put me on Lexapro after that. And, you know, I was an active guy. I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, you know. Yeah. I listened to Jocko podcast forever. I got up early because of that guy and hammered out a 10 mile run to get my day started. Now I struggled to get out of bed by seven or seven thirty, And it felt like I got run over by a bus mm. just destroyed. 
So I did that for a couple months and I couldn't take it anymore. And I just, I stopped. So again, with me being more of a natural guy, I started trying to learn about the mind. Um, I got way into my, my prayer life. Um, I got deep into meditation, um, and breath work, mm-hmm. <clears throat> breath work, um, breath work's been huge and it's, yeah. it's, it's highly underrated, man. I, I really, if, if you're struggling with anything, you do a four second inhale up through the nose and a longer exhale. You can just do six rounds of that. You can do it while you're driving and the studies show it, it drops your blood pressure, drops your heart rate. I mean, it, and it does, it'll, it'll bring you down. I got into so some of those things and I eventually was able to start running again sunlight, nature, yep. getting outside, those I, things. And I don't even need to look at the studies on breath work. Yeah. Because you do it one time. You know. And, you can and feel you know it. it works, man. You like, can feel it. That yeah. was that was one of the main tools that I used in buds. Yeah. You they're, know, they're and, crucial. Oh, a hundred percent. It's it's a it's a game changer when you when you have the discipline to use it when you need to use it. And it takes discipline. For sure. Because it's easy yeah. to sit here and work on your breath when, every, <laughs> when everything's all good to right. go. But when you're in the heat of the moment and you have yeah. to perform or you need to calm yourself down because you shouldn't be so amped up in the first place, um, you have to remember that tool in your toolbox Absolutely. and you have to freaking use it, man. And I've, I've had a couple fires since I've been back. And especially like with our job, we're wearing all this gear you're on air, you know, you've got a mask on your face and you're in there working, you're humping in it. And it's hot right now in Florida, you know, it's 90 something degrees with the humidity through the roof. I'll notice my, I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. breathing real hard, you know, I'm aware of it now and I'll bring it back to the breath and all of a sudden I'm working easier. I'm calmer. You're doing that you know? function check, man. Function you're, check. You're, yeah, you're being aware of it. That's so key. Absolutely. Man. Gosh, that's yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's a whole nother level, man. Yeah. Talk about real quick, Rusty, you know, you talked about kind of how this journey has affected your relationship with your wife and how you guys work as a team and how you guys can, how you guys work as a team at home to reel each other in. Sure. Just talk through the family yeah, yeah. aspect of it, man. Yeah. So with all of this coming out and, and my PTSD diagnosis and, and, now we can kind of put something behind what was going on with me. So when I'm coming home and I'm short fused and I'm in a bad mood, I'm not saying that it's okay to come home and be a jerk, but at least now I could tell my wife, honey, I'm having one of those days. I'm not going to be able to put a smile on my face. I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm just having one of those days and she'll just go, okay. My wife is, She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I, I love her so much, and, and she has been, through everything in my life, she's always been right there for me. Um, so with all of this, um, I just kind of told her, if you see me acting out of sorts, especially with the kids, you know, we've got four kids, and anybody that's got kids out there knows, man, it, it wears on you. I love my, my little jokers to death, but especially when I've had a bad night at work or whatever, coming home, I might snap a little bit easier. So I've told her, if you see me doing that, say something to me. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife, she works her butt off 10, 12 hour days all the time. So she, we have that same compromise where she's told me, Hey, if I'm, if I'm short, let me know. And I'll, and I'll tell her, Melanie, just take it easy and then walk away. If you need to mm-hmm. let, let me get in there 
let me sling the chicken nuggets and the broccoli and stuff. And you go take a breather, you know, go, go take, sit down, take five. So that's been crucial. The other thing is when you come home from a 12 hour shift or 24 hour shift and you're, and you're beat down and you're going on no sleep and you're coming in and you're trying to play dad and, and husband and all of these things, it could take up to 72 hours. Like we were saying to fully process this. So now if I don't just come home and go for a run, I might just go sit in my front office for an hour or two because out of those, those long shifts mentally and physically, you're just drained. You've made all of these decisions and wrote reports and done, done all of these things. Like you're just, you're wore out, man. So she's giving me that time now to just sit and relax and, and kind of get myself together. And that's been huge. Give me those two hours in the morning and, yeah, just well, to decompress. I think the big part, too, man, is you guys had that conversation. It's that, that's that awareness piece. A hundred percent. We're on the same page with it now. And, again, like I said, I'm not saying it's okay for me to act like this, but at least she knows it's not something with her or something like that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Because that could just lead down a whole other road. Yeah. It's something that didn't even need to take place that, it, you know. Well, I think the cool part is, too, man, is you gave her permission to, you know, if you're if you get home from a hard day and you do snap a little bit and you're a little short, you're a little short fused, you've given her permission to yeah. say, Hey Rusty, you're doing that thing, <laughs> you know, and, and 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 instead of you attacking her, right, you're like, I'm you have it. the discipline yep. to say, you know what? You're right. Let me walk away yep. for a little bit. Yep. And and then I come, solid, man. come over a little bit later and, and apologize to my kids who are just being kids. That's it, you know? man. And, I, and that, and they're so forgiving, you know, they come over and give you a hug and it's like, that didn't even happen. And, you know, but so, yeah, that, that's been huge. It just, just for our, our, our entire family, family life in general, it's been big. You're the man, brother. <laughs> you are the man, <laughs> you know, and I, Rusty could sit here and tell us stories that would freaking like probably make you want to turn this podcast off. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think that people understand exactly the magnitude of death and destruction that you guys have to see, man. Like, and we're just going to leave it at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're just going to leave it at that. It's um, thank you, brother. Yeah, no, thank you, and, and thank you for your service for our country, man. I am extremely grateful for all of you guys in the military and everything you guys do, man. That's that's a huge sacrifice. You guys are laying it on the line too, man. Well, it's uh, it's definitely all. It's it's definitely all part of what makes this country the the greatest country on earth. I agree. Because we got men on all fronts and women on all fronts that yes. are willing to lay it on the line. And um, you and me both have written a check payable for up to and including our lives Yep. in order to serve our nation. Absolutely. You know, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, man, that's why we love our country so much. We do. That's why it hurts so bad it, it when does. we see our country bleeding, man. Abs- absolutely. I mean, it, it freaking hurts, man, on a whole nother level. 
Yeah. Freaking half, three quarters of society doesn't even get it. No. Like, you don't even freaking get it, man. So, dude, I want to talk about, I want to talk a little bit about your, your spiritual life, man. Sure. Because I know that's a big part of who you are. And we talked a little bit on our run about the difference between having an experience and uh, being just being convinced of something or right. just growing up in, in the church and just kind of following that path because it's what you have been raised around. Right. You know, you, you almost feel like there's no other option than that. And, and that's cool. But, man, when you have an experience, it all of a sudden becomes real. Absolutely. Right? So, dude, what's led you to believe the way you believe? Um, I well, guess that's the first question. It, it, again, it's just it's been a long journey. You know, I'm, I'm 39 now, and um, I, uh, I kind of feel like spiritually we're all on our own journey with it. You know, like it, it can't be just something pushed on you. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I don't talk about it a whole lot, uh, with, you know, especially on social media or anything like that. Um, well, you're in the perfect place to talk about it right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's definitely been evolving and I, I feel that it's, it's like anything else in life. You, you get out of it, what you put into it. And I never really put a whole lot into it. That's I, so true, man. I got up, I went to work, I took care of my family, I mowed my yard, I went to the gym. Well, through this process of getting dropped on my head and becoming a different person, I don't know, I started looking for more meaning mm -hmm. in life. And I've just had some different things that have happened to me that just don't add up and don't make sense and just different feelings in my soul that have have changed me um i had this happen about two years ago i had this near-death experience at home i went out on a long run it was about i don't know 10 miles or something like that and i did it fasted uh, which is usually what i do so i got home about noon hadn't eaten all day and um i went to eat some food well I'm starving, so I'm scarfing it down. Oh, I'm yeah. taking two bigger bites. Well, like you're in a firehouse, man. Exactly. You're, <laughs> you're trying to eat as quick as you can. I got you, you brother. So I'm scarfing this food down, and um, sometimes when I eat too fast, if I'm not paying, paying attention, it kind of gets like lodged in my esophagus. So I have to go grab some water. So have Bro, to I'm not. <laughs> I am not even joking to you, dude. Same freaking thing, yeah. man. So it it gets lodged. And I go to drink some water to try to push it down, and it doesn't budge. Instead, I pretty much spit all the water up in the sink. Well, now that food has moved, and it's blocking my trachea. And I, I can't – I'm choking. And it wasn't like I took a big inhale of air. It caught me off guard. Now I'm starting to panic, and, I mean, I am full-on choking your brain starts to die without oxygen in four to six minutes. So even if I dialed 911, it's going to be just a welfare check. Like, they're not going to know what's going on. Yeah. So I'm already, I already know in my mind, if I can't get this up, I'm done. I'm gone. So I start panicking, and, and I, I'm going back and forth, and I just start thinking. I'm like, 
my wife and kids are going to come home in a few hours and they're going to see me dead on the floor and like all of the crazy things I've done in my life, this is how I'm going to go. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And man, so you're having that, I was panicked, you're, you're having that conversation totally, with yourself. hundred percent. I was wow. like, this is it. This is because it went on for about 20 seconds. And I know that doesn't sound like a long time, but when you can't breathe and you can't figure out a way to fix it. Oh yeah. That's a long time. And, um, I kept working and I just grabbed hold and kind of strangled myself and I bared down as hard as I could and I pushed and it came up. I stood there in my kitchen for the next probably 15 minutes, sweating profusely, just in complete shock as mm. to what had just happened. And I was like, my gosh, you know, I, that was almost it. So I'm a little shooken up, obviously didn't need any more. So I walk away. I, I've been running, so I went to go take a shower. So I took a shower, and I'm still just kind of in a daze, just like, man, what just happened, you know? And I came out of the shower, and I'm walking down my hallway. Well, above the nursery, the nursery's right next to the master bedroom, so I've had every one of my kids in this nursery when they were a baby, and they've all moved on to the other bedrooms. So it's been nine years ago now, but eight years ago when this happened, or I mean, a year ago when this happened, I had this big wooden sign above the nursery that said, Jesus loves you, this I know. And I hung it there years ago. So I'm coming down the hallway, and as I walk by, the sign crashed to the ground behind me, like literally almost hit me. And I turned around, and I stared at that sign like a deer in the headlights, and it felt like somebody was in my house. Eight years that sign hung up there. I almost died in my kitchen and it crashes to the ground behind me. Like the rope was snapped. And I know most people might think, oh, it's just a coincidence or whatever. You can call anything can call, a coincidence. Yeah. It, it, it felt like there was somebody in my house. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I was, I stood there, man. Like I could not physically move. I, could, I was like concrete shoes, and uh, that went on for probably another 10 or 15 minutes where I just stood there looking at that sign. It was laying there facing me, and I wasn't asking for a sign. I was just kind of going on about my day, but that really hit me, um, and I didn't continue on with my journey into the church because of this. I had already just felt it. I don't know, man. Like, I just feel like there's, there's a, there's a higher power, you know, there's something more to this. I mean, there's so much about our minds that we just, we don't even understand at this point, you know, there's so much more science still to this day cannot explain why we're here. How did we even get here? There, there's visible evidence of, of a creator in all of creation, including our physical bodies all we have to do is walk out this door right here, look up. For sure. There's so much stuff. Yeah, I agree 100%, man. Yeah, and, and like I said, I don't, I don't push this stuff on anybody because it, it didn't do any good to push it on me, you know? Yeah. I feel like, again, we're on our own path, and I, I'm definitely a believer now, man. It's, my life has improved dramatically 
since doing so, since coming into the church and, and I, I get in my Bible every day. And so finish that story for me. You, you're there for, you said you, it continued on for 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, and I just, I like, couldn't move. I could not move from the, the point I was at. And I ended up walking around my house, like looking in every single room. Wow. As if somebody was there. I mean, I really felt the presence. Like it made all the hair stand up. Actually, when I tell the story, it makes my hair stand up. Yeah. I searched my whole house. I, I it just, I felt the presence of something in my mm. house. And it, it's, it's a feeling that I've I've never felt before, and uh, yeah, man, I don't I don't know. Like it's, what do you what do you think? I mean, I, I'm gonna say that that was the Holy Spirit, God, for sure. getting your attention because he, it was time to get your attention. Absolutely. Um, what do you think the the message was there? Have you have you figured that out? I don't know if I fully will ever understand, but I feel like it's got me on the right path to where I need to be right now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I'm a different person. That's the biggest way I can describe it. I, I look at life differently now too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just made me a, a a better husband, a better father. In my spiritual life, it's I didn't have one. I didn't have one. I I didn't know any better, and now it gives you a foundation get, for everything. Uh, yes, that's it's, what I was gonna. Yeah, a foundation a, for sure. A true. It gives you a truth. It, so truth is relative if it's coming from you or me, right? Right. Because our truth is going to change what we would, I guess, try to portray as truth. It's going to change as we change and as our experiences in life change. Right. So that's the most. I think beautiful thing about God's word is that it is never changing. It's a living word and it gives you truth from a moral standpoint, from a uh, theological standpoint, everything. Yeah. And it's outside of yourself and it's always there. Um, and that's what I, I love about it. Now, after this happened, man, did you like, did you tell your wife about it? Or oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've told multiple people about it and yeah it's it's funny it's like almost everybody i tell they're like oh my gosh man the hair on the back of my neck just stood up and yeah it it was a pretty crazy experience it's still like i said it's still something that sits with me to this day i gotta ask you man what is um just because of the, the job that you've done in the places that you've been and the things that you've seen like what's your perspective on death man and I ask you that because I feel like we as humans in a first world country mm-hmm. have become so disconnected with death and people may not want to hear about it. You, you might yeah. turn this podcast off right now because, but it's a real thing. It's like, it's, it's the only guarantee that we have That's- in life and we should not be so disconnected from it. And we, we weren't disconnected from it up until what, the last maybe 100 years? Maybe not even that long. Right. Um, what's your perspective on it, man? And uh, I, I mean, I just got to get that from you. If you got anything on that. No, just uh, life is precious. Life is precious. Yeah. But for me, I do believe in a higher power, and it's, 
I'm trying to do the best that I can here now for the after. And I, and I hope there is an after. And that's, that's what's changed for me so much. Is, and I feel, I feel bad for people that, that don't believe in that this is it, that this is our only thing here for 70 years and then that's it. Yeah. You know, I just I feel there's so much more after this. So, yeah. It's uh you're you're right. A lot of people just try to look away as if it doesn't happen and you've been all over the world, man. You you've seen some pretty horrible things. Yeah, it's uh life's precious, man, and I I don't take it for granted. That's for sure. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. And I'd say I'd say that's probably the if I could extract one good thing from the horrible things that I've seen is the one good thing is the perspective that it gives you on how fragile life is. Absolutely. And you know, you just talked about it, man, when you had that food hung in your throat and you couldn't breathe. <laughs> Here you are, a, a high performer, a sheepdog, just uh, a fall, you dude, you're dude, and it doesn't matter, right? Like, it does Life is so fragile, and I've seen that throughout my career. You know, I remember a good buddy of mine, Blake Marston. This dude looked like he was chiseled out of stone, man. Just, I'm talking about hard, son. I'm talking about hard. Yeah. I was talking to him one day, next day he was gone. Didn't matter, you know, and that's uh, maybe you think that's morbid, maybe you don't like. Maybe it's a taboo conversation, but that's been something that stuck with me and it's helped me throughout my sure. life to stay present in whatever what, whatever part of whatever life's throwing at me, man. Absolutely. Because it's like at the end of the day, who cares what life's throwing at me? It's like, man, I get another day, dude. That's right, When you man. wake up in the morning, you see that, that sun you know, break the heart. You're yeah. already up. I'm laying in bed. <laughs> when I see the sun come through my window, dang near every morning I roll over and I see that sun coming through the window and I'm like, man, I get another day, dude. You know, just like during our run, when you took me to that little place that had the little waterfall coming down and the cave and that's that's been another thing that's come out of all of this is it's just made me appreciate the little things. And yeah, the a solid sunrise, sunset, just nature, just, just the little things, the smiles on my kids, you know, holding my wife's hand, mm. just, just the little things in life that you take for granted. This process has just made me present and made me just realize the stuff, the trucks, the toys, none of that matters. No, none it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We get a limited time here, and I'm just trying to love my neighbor, be of service, and just, just be a good person while I'm here. And you know, man, you have to come to a point where you can notice and appreciate those little things. For sure. Because that's, that is where like the most vibrant uh, aspects of creation are at. It's in like a spider spinning a web. Yeah. Like I stopped one time and I, I had never done this in my life before, but I stopped. This spider had just started building a web 
And, you know, usually I would just knock the web down and right. go on about my business. But something stopped me. And I watched that spider spin that web from start to finish. And, dude, it was mind-boggling. Crazy. You, you talked about, like, seeing lines and, like, your love for architecture right. and stuff like that. Like, this little insect and built this magnificent, perfect thing. Mind-blowing. It just knew how to do it. And it was so intricate the way that it did it. And I was watching it the whole time like, holy crap. How does it know just to go that far and make a perfect line and then start the next circle? I'm like, holy smokes. I've knocked a billion of these things down right. and never. Man, I went 30 years and never realized what it took to build that thing. Yeah, the beauty behind all of it. It's just... You, ha you have to get to a place in your life where you can appreciate those things. And it brings, uh, you know, a, the reason I'm so passionate about this, another reason is because I can remember when my wife uh, got out of rehab and she was in her process of recovery. I remember distinctly there was a moment when she was like, uh, all right, like, so this is life? Like, this is what life is? It's, this is dull. This is boring. And what it was is she just, she just hadn't got to the point where she could notice the magnificence exactly. of all the little things around her. That's exactly. all it was, man. All about that perception, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on that too. You know, you can, you can get up in the morning and go, oh, this is happening to me or that's happening to me. You got to realize that this is happening for you, not to you. And just flip your perception around and, and try to find the good of what's going on every day. And I definitely look for that now, especially these early morning runs when the, the sun's first coming up. I'm appreciative that I'm able to get up and go and do these things when so many people aren't. Yep. It's, it's been life-changing for me, for sure. Brother, how in the world did you go from not being able to run a single mile to <laughs> running a half marathon then a marathon, then a 50K in that short a span of time. So there's a guy named Cameron Haynes that uh, I've been following him on Instagram for a while. And after I had shoulder surgery in 2015, I'd put on some weight. I couldn't work out. I was really upset about it. And I've never, ever been a runner. So I found Cameron Haynes was posting all these videos of him running this mountain. And I was like, man, I, I don't know. I hate running. And he started talking about running 100 miles and I thought that was over like five days or seven days. No, it's the goal is to do it in 24 hours or less, generally every race. So I just started paying a little more attention to that. And, um, I, I went to the track one day and I, I tried to run a mile and I made it about halfway or three quarters, man. I was cramping up, winded, just a mess, terrible form. And I got aggravated. I said, all right, I'll be back tomorrow. So I came back the next day, similar scenario. And I carried on until I could get a mile without having to stop. Once I could do that, mile and a quarter, mile and a half, two miles. And I just built on it. They say to add about 10% a week so that you don't get injured. So I just continued on that. And I saw that there was a half marathon coming into my town in like six weeks. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to run that. 
And everybody told me I'm crazy. Just start with a 5K, man. What are you doing? You know, you're 265 pounds. And that just gave me more drive. And yeah. I, and I did it. I did it in, I, th- I don't know, it's just over two hours. It's nothing impressive. It was like a 920 pace or something like that. But, yeah, I was like 260 pounds at the time, brand new to it. And just built from there, man. I ran up my first marathon three months later in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, I think that race, the Grandfather Mountain Marathon, had – 4,500 feet of gain, 5,000, something like that. And that one, that one shook me a little bit. That yeah. was, that was a little tough, man. Did you, did you hit a low point there? I did. I ran, I ran about 18 miles, including the uphills without having to walk any of it. I'd made it 18. Oh man, that was a big and, mistake. And I it, never run the uphills. Well, they even told me, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> don't run the uphills. And I was gung ho. I was feeling good. I mean, I've been in Florida. It was 95 degrees of yeah. humidity and I get up here and it's like 68 and I was like, I'm on it. But yeah, around that 20 mile mark, um, and I, you know, I didn't know anything about my nutrition yet. And I bonked, I mean, I bonked hard. My entire body was on fire. And once you start getting up highway 221, there's a lot of switchbacks. And Mm -hmm. so the road is not flat when you're making these turns. It's got a camber to it. Exactly. And it was just crushing my lower body, Mm -hmm. my shins and ankles. Um, so, yeah, man, Cameron Haynes was a big impact on me. I ran a 50K a couple months after that. And, um, you know, through him, uh, I found David Goggins, who's just an absolute animal. And uh, I found Rich Roll. And I started kind of researching because at the time I was 37 and, and never run before. So I started kind of looking into like older athletes, you know, guys yep. that started late. And Rich Roll was one of them. He was a swimmer in college. But um, he didn't start, you know getting into a lot of the iron man's and stuff until he was later on and so yeah i read his book it was very inspiring and i was like okay this is possible man i can start later on mm-hmm. so i've just kind of been building on it from there and it and my and again like i've just read books i haven't had any coaching which i could i'm not gonna like i probably use it you know maybe help my form a little bit more but um I, well i think i think the coaching aspect for me, the main advantage of it would be the accountability aspect. That of it, too, you know what I mean? Because yep. you know you got to answer to your coach. Absolutely. I think gotta, I think that'd be solid, man. And that's and that's where I'm kind of looking at. I'm looking at doing a hundred k. We're not looking at it as long as it doesn't get canceled. Yeah, I'm doing a hundred k in December. So yeah. I've been thinking about maybe getting a coach. Because yes, you're right. There's days where oh man, I got eight or ten on the schedule, but I got the kids and I don't feel like it. Well, yep. it's got to get done, and that that will hold me. Now, in your training, I mean, even from the beginning, your training style, are you, are you really structured? Are you kind of just going by feel? I mean, are you running every day? Are you running? I mean, how it's, do you plan that out? It's, uh, it's almost every day. It's about five days a week. Um, a lot of consistency then. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about five days, and I'd like to beef it up a little bit more. Um, Usually we work 24 hour shifts and then we're off for 48 hours. So usually that's about two days a week, three days a week that I'm on shift. I was getting up at quarter to five and running three to five miles before I went into work. Mm -hmm. But then you go into work and you might not sleep for 24 hours and recovery. And then you're still trying to run another eight miles the next. So a lot of times those were my, my rest days maybe. So I have to crank the miles back up on my on my two days off so yeah it's a little bit awkward you know with with my schedule especially with the sleep aspect and you know you know how it is recovery is 
man, it's just as important as doing the running. So oh, yeah, 100%. Got to make sure I'm getting those sleep hours in there as well. What do you do for sleep, man? Because I, I know that's something that I know you've learned a lot about sleep in your yes. journey. And what do you do intentionally day to day to kind of make that the best that you can possibly make it? Because I know that's something that's important to you. Yeah. Um, again, like anything else, it's consistency. So, and my wife knows, I mean, I'm 830, I'm wrangling all the kids up. Get your teeth brushed. Yeah. You guys have wore me out. I'm done, you know, trying to get them down. And, and we do, you know, some stories or whatever. Let them maybe sit with us for a little while. Um, I try to be in bed by about nine. And I'm an early riser, so I want to be up by five. So I'm making sure... I wish I was one of those people that only needed like six hours. But I do too, man. I, man, I I need seven to eight. I mean, I really do. And then I can I, go for nine. I, well, I could get more. Yeah, you, know, you can ask my wife. My wife doesn't need as much as me. I mean, I, but I I'm definitely big on on those. And um, and some days I might need a little thirty minute nap in the middle of the day if I'm able to catch one of the days that I'm coming off shift. My wife's been pretty cool about that, and I'll try to catch one in the middle of the day. But yeah, if um, if you can start trying to wind yourself down, lighting is a big thing, like mm -hmm. our cell phones, these blue lights. So I set mine to the whatever the thing is. It's, I think it's 6 or 7 o'clock. It, it takes the blue light out, and I really try to stay off the thing in the, in the evening. It's family time anyway, but... Hasn't today been nice? We haven't been on our we phones. We haven't been on our phones, man. At all, man. No. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, interrupt no, you. I just no, popped into my head. You're, you're, you're absolutely right, so... Yeah, I start kind of around 6 or 7 o'clock. I start trying to turn the lights down in the house to try to get everyone to chill and not absorb so much blue light as it is. And then I like to – I haven't been on it lately. I'm trying to get myself back in the habit of, of meditation for like 30 minutes before bed. That's that, a big time commitment, man. That's got to take some discipline. I was doing 30 to 45 in the morning and another 30 at night of – and right. what does that look like? I mean, that 30 minutes, what is that? What are you doing during that? So there's different ways with meditation. You can just do it like focused on your breathing, or you can do like a guided meditation. Okay. Which, so I kind of go back and forth between the two. So usually in the mornings, I might not do a guided one. I'll just kind of focus on my breathing. Um, and then in, and then the evening, I might do a guided one. There's some good ones that I've found. Um, I, I probably butcher this guy's name, Deepak Chopra. Um, he's got some really good guided ones that uh, it's some next level stuff, man. Is it really? I'm telling you. Yeah. It'll, it'll take you to some crazy places. Is that on an app or a lot of times I'll just go on YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm maybe punching it in on my phone with my headphones and put my phone off to the side and, and just close my eyes, sit in my front office. And that's been huge. And I'll do that and maybe read. I like to read before bed. I, I don't, my wife loves watching TV. I don't watch TV before bed. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one thing, man, if I could tell people, don't watch the news before bed. Don't watch some crazy war horror movie before bed, before you're trying to go to sleep, because mm -hmm. that's going to get buried in your subconscious and jack your sleep up. So, Dude, you talked about, I know you had some conversations about that subconscious mind yeah. we did at dinner. And that's really, really interesting, man, how that stuff is still there. And it's still working, like your mind's having to work through it while you're still asleep. For sure. And that's, you know, talking through things with my therapist and telling her, you know, like, Debbie, I, I had another, you know, another night where I woke up with night sweats again. I don't know what it was. And she's like, it, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't try to figure it out. Your subconscious was processing something, and it did. 
it just let it go. That is crazy, like, man. All right. You know, I so, believe it though, man. Yeah. Like you said, what are we using now? 5% of our brain? Yeah, is that so, the science behind so it? So consciously, um, right now us talking, this is only 5%. Your subconscious is 95%. Wow, dude. And I, I've learned a lot of this stuff through Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's got tons of YouTube stuff. The guy's amazing. I've read some of his books and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, he even gets into like your thoughts. You're on average, I think you have about 70 thoughts per day. 90% of those are the thoughts you had yesterday. So if you're in a rut and you're depressed, try to figure out why, man. Try to get aware of what's, what are these thoughts that's triggering this anxiety and all of that. I've, I've learned a lot about the mind through this process. Daggone, man. I didn't even realize that. There's so much to it. Wow. I'm still, I'm still into it. That's wild, brother. What are your... So you got 100K coming up. Yeah. What's your, what's your ultimate goal for, for ultra running? Do you view it as a long-term yeah, thing? Yeah, it's, it's as long as I'm able to stay healthy and run, I'll run for the rest of my life. So, again, all this, all this stuff, you know, nutrition and recovery and easing into the weeks and not going too crazy, um, I'll run for the rest of my life. So, yeah, my ultimate, I, I want to do 100 milers. So that's just kind of where I've been building. I went through all of this last year, so I didn't run any races last year. Just mm-hmm. tried to recover and, and heal. And, uh, and yeah, now I'm starting to just get back into my training. So this 100Ks in, uh, in December. And from there, uh, maybe next year will be my year where I'll, I'll pick out a 100 miler. That's, that's the ultimate for me. For now, I mean, I don't know. These guys are running the Moab 240. I mean. Yeah, that starts to get a little silly, yeah. though, man. <laughs> like we're talking it's a couple like, of days. Yeah, and, it starts to get a little silly, man. It, that's a different that's a different ball game, dude. Because, sure. you know, 95% of those runners are stopping and, and having a sleep somewhere. So that's different, man. Like. A hundred mile, it's all in one push. That's and that's what I'm after. Yeah. Uh, since since day one, when I heard Cam Haynes and and David Goggins talking about it, I was just like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. It's gonna happen. I, sooner or later, I'm gonna get my training and my family time and everything scheduled right to where I can get everything in right. And it, yeah, that's that's my ultimate. And dude, Rusty, you would be surprised, man. At, you'd be surprised about when you do your first 100 miler, depending on how much you want to put into training, you'd be really surprised at how well you can do on very little training. I've, I've heard. Like, so. It's, so, it's so true, man. I mean, you can, it's, you, we talked, we just got done talking about the mind. Right. The mind can make your body do some crazy things. Absolutely. The, your your story is evidence of that. Yep. So, you know, we can flip that and see how the mind can make us do some crazy things for good. And that's what happens, man. And me personally, I think, I don't even know if people believe me. Like most of the 100-mile races that I have done and done well at, podium finishes, were on like 30 mile training weeks for like wow. months prior to the race like there's only been i think my first hundred mile or cruel jewel 
It was a 106 miler with 33,000 feet of elevation gain. Wow. And loss. I got eighth place there, my first 100 miler, international field. It's a big race, Western States qualifier, the whole nine yards. Now, I did ramp up a little for that race because it was my first 100 miler and I didn't know what to expect. But it's, it's more of a journey, man. You get the Absolutely. full spectrum of life in a 100 mile race and even. Re- the, the difference between a 100-miler and a 100K is you got to deal with the sleep deprivation aspect okay. of the 100-mile. It's not going to hurt any worse. The 100-miler physically is not going to hurt any worse than the pain that you're feeling and the discomfort that you're feeling at the end of the 100K. Okay. Um, so you are a master of operating <laughs> under a sleep-deprived state. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I just worked a 48-hour shift. I mean, we, we do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. So, you know, I have 100% confidence that me and you could get up from this table right now, go get up on Taylor's Ridge and run a 100-miler. If we wanted to do that, <laughs> it wouldn't be healthy, but I have a 100% confidence that you could make that happen. Um, well, I'm going to need a pacer one of these days, so. Well, dude, I you know, your plan for – I'm glad you didn't choose your first 100-miler this year because this would have been a terrible year to try to, you know, do all this research on what you want your yep. first 100-miler to be. And, gosh, I don't even know if, if there's going to be any that go uh, for the rest of this year. Yeah, this. I don't even know what's going to happen with this 100K, but I'm I'm just – getting out every day and just doing my thing and yeah just, yeah you got you got yeah, to man just like everybody else you know and is for you why do you i mean why do you love running so much i mean what why did you choose that well I, again like with my personality um it, it just it stuck you know everything that i've done in my life that has been hard has been the most rewarding I went through EMT school twice. I made it, through, it took me two times through the fire academy. I worked my butt off to get hired. And just because you go to EMT school and the fire academy does not mean that you got to go get a job now. You got to yep. go test with hundreds of other people. There's thousands of people in Florida looking for jobs. So everything I've done in my life that has been hard, same with bodybuilding, man. Bodybuilding's hard. It's hard to put muscle on. It's hard Dude, to eat six meals a day, eating chicken and rice over and over and over. Running has been that, but so much more. When I can go out and and crank a, a two-hour, three-hour run, it becomes meditative, spiritual. I mean, you... You get into some some places in the mind that you didn't even know exist, man. You get into some headspace out there, and I and that's another reason why the hundred miler intrigues me for sure. Because yeah, man, I've just had some of these 18, 20 mile runs where it's it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I come home and my, and my day is different. You get that endorphin release. You know, you're getting all that fresh air, the breathing, the breath work that goes in. Yeah. And I know with me, like sometimes the first two or three miles are a little hard, but then it's like the governor sets in around five or six and, and I could just have a conversation like we are right now. I'm like mile two, man, I was huffing and puffing and all of a sudden my heart rate comes it's weird, down. It, it's super weird. It's like my body's like, okay, this joker's not going to quit. Yeah. I, I got to, I got to figure this out and, and get everything rolling. So 
Yeah, man. You know, David Goggins said that on the other side of suffering is greatness. And I, I couldn't agree with that anymore. Yeah. You know, any anything that I've tackled in my life that studying for tests, man, studying for, you know, becoming a paramedic, you know, all of these things, they were hard. They were tough. Yeah. And I never, this, this whole, like, runner's high, I, and I get that, like, twice a year. It's hard every time I go out. It's, <laughs> it's never easy. Yep. You know, and I'm always pushing my body. But the reward at the end when I come home and covered in sweat, just soaked after an eight or a 10 miler, it's like, all right, I don't care whatever I do the rest of my day. I, I got that done. I put work in, I got fresh air. I got some sunlight. Dude, so. I feel the same way, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. That's why we, that's why we had to go knock that run out before, Absolutely. The pot, before we did this, man. It was like, we, we got, and you ran this morning too. And yeah. I ran this morning. So we got two in today. We got two in. Yeah. And it's like, we can sit here on our butts now and yep. have a t- have a two hour long conversation right. and be cool with yep, it. You I'm know? good. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. And you know, it's cool too that. And I know you guys probably have a similar saying in in fire school. It's like we in the teams we call it train like you fight. Yep. And um, that's what the ultra running uh, a big part of ultra running is for me is training myself in a controlled environment inflicting that whatever you want to call it suffering or discomfort upon myself so that way when life happens and it's outside of our control we've we've sharpened these tools that are transferable right the tools that we sharpen out on the trail are transferable into our everyday life and that's another so true. good point, you know, that I didn't even mention for my job, you know, like being in all that gear with a hundred pounds on you and, and working in a, an environment where it's a couple hundred degrees and yeah, it, you need to be in shape. So yeah. it's, it's dramatically, I mean, I, I went from being a 280 pound bodybuilder, you know, I could suck a bottle down quick, you know, our, our compressed air. Oh Yeah. I mean, I could smoke one of those, no problem, and and I'm, I was gassed. Now, I way can work, more man. Efficient. Yeah, I'm yeah. way more efficient. I'm not sucking down as much air. I can, I can get a lot more done, you know. And I and I don't feel as bad afterwards. So, yep. that's that's a good feeling too, being conditioned. A hundred percent, brother. Dude, what have we missed? What else is on your heart, man? <laughs> this has been a freaking awesome conversation, dude. No, I'm I'm just. I'm so grateful to to even be here and like I said, man, I just wanted to come and, and share my story and, and uh if there is anybody out there that's that's truly struggling and, and you don't have to just be a firefighter, just anything in your life that you're feeling that this kind of resonated with you, just just letting people know you're not alone. You know, we're human beings. We need companionship and that was one of the biggest things for me. I was alone and embarrassed and ashamed and didn't know so I wanted to to talk today to just let people know what to look for just be aware of what's going on with your own body and and mind but with your co-workers with your family members that's it, man. you know so that that's just been my biggest message you know as a as a firefighter as a human being just being of service and I feel like that that's what I tried to do today and it's by no means is easy for me. 
You know, I I would have much rather have just kept to myself on this subject. Um, like so many other things in my life, but, uh, I, I feel the need to, to come forth and, and hopefully it it does. It reaches some people that might be struggling. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, you, you kind of did exactly the opposite of keeping to yourself. You (laughs) drove a couple hundred miles, committed two days of your time and your money to come out and share a powerful story, man, to share your testimony, um, to share what God's placed on your heart, man. And it goes back to exactly, you know, you were talking about earlier about how, man, the only thing that I can take away from this experience is that God wanted to put you in the place to where you could feel this stuff, understand this stuff, and work through this stuff. So now you can sit in the seat that you're sitting in. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You're living it, man. Yeah. Like you have, you've raised your hand and said, I will go. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's no joke. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just so thankful for you, brother. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to have you back on the podcast. We talked about maybe, planning a little run together here in a couple months once you get your training ramped up. Yep. Maybe go out here, get back here on Taylor's Ridge, do a little point-to-point 50K or something. Last long run before the 100K. I'm in. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. Man, we'll have a a whole other – the whole day since you've been here has been like a podcast. (laughs) The whole run – like – I, I'm starting to think I've got some lavalier mics. I'm, st- I'm like, why didn't we just strap lavalier mics and made this like a six hour long podcast? We'll, do it. we'll bring a camera, everything. A hundred percent, dude. I yeah. mean, because it's just, I'm there's in. so much, man. And so thankful for you, brother. I mean, I love you, man. Love you too, uh, man. I really do. Appreciate man. the opportunity to come here and talk today. I really do. It's, uh, the, the pleasure's all ours and I can guarantee you, um, yeah, this is this is gonna help I somebody. Hope so, man. This is this is here forever. This is going out into these airwaves now from this point until the internet crashes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's a long time. I hope so, man. Yeah, because <laughs> if the internet crashes, oh, it's about to get ugly, it son. Is. So <laughs> so yeah, we got to uh we got to sit down here and talk for, you know, we're now at an hour and forty two minutes and this is gonna be out there forever, man. So powerful. And um, all right, guys, this is the 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said.